Well, we're excited that you're here, and we know it's getting into that time of year where vacations and graduations and homecomings and so many things are going on, but we're glad you're here, and we're excited about what God is going to teach us through His Word. We just finished the series, Godly Women Warriors, and just as we said, that series was not just for women. It was looking at biblical women who set that example of standing for God. And what did it look like? What characteristics did they show that we all can learn from? Well, as we go to June, we're going to be looking at godly, mighty men. Now, that does not mean that this is just for men. So, ladies, that does not mean that you can start taking a nap, okay? But we're going to look at male examples of what it means to stand for God. And I hope that this uh, series will challenge you and will help you to grow in, in your walk with Christ. And at the end of June, there are five weeks in June, at the end of June, that message, and I encourage you to be here all month long, but especially be here for that series because or that message because on the last Sunday in June, we're going to see what happens when a godly woman warrior unites with a godly mighty man. And we call that marriage. And we're going to see about how God uses for both to come together in union for his glory and for his purpose. And so I hope that you'll uh, put that especially on your calendar to be here for that. Well, let's get into godly mighty men. The one we're going to look at today is Daniel. Now, if I asked you, let's just do it because you know how I like to do little surveys. How many of you have heard of Daniel? Raise your hand. Now, ladies, notice when we did the ladies series, most people, who is that? Is that in the Jochebed? Who is Jochebed? Isn't it interesting how most of the time messages are geared on the male examples and not the female examples? And that's why we don't often hear of the ladies that God used. But I hope last month changed that. But Daniel is one of those names that most people recognize, right? Even in other religions, they try to take the story of Daniel and take it and tweak it and change it to match their thing because he was so well known, not only in scripture, but in history, right? Because he served for King Nebuchadnezzar, he served for Belteshazzar, he served for Darius, he served for Cyrus. So he's known historically as well as biblically. So this is a guy that we can really look to to see what kind of decisions did he make that would help us to follow Christ? What kind of choices did he make that God said, I'm going to work through you? Because if you're not careful, you can say, well, you know, I bet Daniel had an easy life. I bet Daniel had it made and he worked for kings, so obviously he had it easy. Folks, he had a very difficult path. He had many opportunities where he could said, you know what, God, forget it. I'm done. Forget it, God. I don't care if you work through me. I don't even care if you know who I am. I'm done. And maybe some of you here today are like that to the point in your life and your relationship with God where you're like, you know what? I just can't take anymore. I just don't care anymore. Well, I hope that after today, you'll change your mind. I hope after today you'll see God wants to work through you even in the difficult circumstances. But we're going to focus in because Daniel served over 70 years among these kings. And if we took and looked at every aspect of Daniel's life, we would be here for a while. Okay, And so we're going to focus in on this particular topic, prepared for promotion. Daniel prepared himself for God to promote, for God to bless. Church, you have to understand, God puts you in situations and in circumstances, but you have to purpose in your heart. You have to say, God, I want to serve you. God, I want to follow you. It doesn't happen naturally. For those of you that have graduated from high school or you're graduating in the next couple of weeks, Graduation didn't happen naturally. You had to study. You had to take tests. You had to write papers. You had to show up. You can't just skip school, right? They come looking for you if that happens. It took purpose on your behalf. 
And it's always interesting when you get to this point, sometimes kids are like, man, if I would have tried just a little bit harder, I might have received more scholarship money. Well, unfortunately, we realize those things too late. So I want us to look at it now so we can understand it. So whether you're in high school or whether you're in, you know, midlife or some of you are, you've crested the hill and you're kind of gliding down. We won't say what age that is, but just, you know, that, that happens. Wherever you're at in life, you can make the choice, Lord, I want to prepare for promotion. God, I want to live in such a way that you can work through me. We have to look at a couple things first. First one is this. He was taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Now, why is that so important? He was taken, by the way, 15 years old. For those of you that are taking notes, he was taken captive in 605 BC. He was born in 620 BC. So 620 minus 605, 15. He was 15 years old when he was taken captive. I'm just kind of curious. Anybody in here 15 or close to that? Okay, we've got a few. All right. Imagine, guys, right after the service, somebody comes in and takes you over to a foreign land. Takes you away from your friends, from your family, from your comforts, from everything. Do you think your first response would be this? Praise God, he's going to use me. No, it'd be like... Whoa, whoa, what happened here? Wait a minute, what, what took place? Hey, wait a minute, I didn't ask for this. I don't want to be here. God, what are you doing? Daniel was taken away from his homeland, from his families, from his comforts, from his God at 15 years of age and put in a land that was pagan, in a land that was not like what he was used to. So that was not easy. But then not only that, now he's set apart for testing. King Nebuchadnezzar said, you know what? From all these people that we've taken from Israel, I want you to take a portion of them and I want you to test them to see if they are smart enough. We need wisdom. And it's pretty smart on his part to try to get intellect and try to gain people that could help him in making the transition And he's like, I need smart people. So Daniel was not just taken from his homeland, from his people, but now he's taken from even the captives and he's put in just a small group and says, now the king's going to test you. By the way, if the king doesn't like you, you're dead. And you guys thought you had pressure in taking tests. Here was the test. It was a matter of life and death. Daniel could have said, you know what, God? forget it. I thought serving you was what was best, but because I'm serving you, I've been taken to a foreign land. I've been taken away from my comforts. I've been separated from all people and I'm put here under the test that I didn't ask for. So you know what, God, I'm done. Because have you ever struggled with that? God, I'm just walking away. You've abandoned me, so I'm going to abandon you. I'm tired, God. I'm just done, and I quit. Daniel had every reason to do that, but he didn't. He could have gone the wrong path. And folks, there's a thinking out there that says this, you can't control the path you choose, and I want you to know that's a lie. You may not be able to control your circumstances, but you can control your path. Okay? Don't let your circumstances say, well, I had no choice. I just had to do this. You never have to do anything. You may not be able to control your circumstances, but you can control your path. You can control your actions on what you do in those circumstances, and Daniel did. So Daniel did three things that helped him to prepare for promotion. And the first one is this. He did not defile himself. He did not defile himself. What does it mean to defile? Well, to defile means to take something upon yourself that disqualifies you from your particular function. That's what it means to defile. For example, I have up here a bottle of water, 10 ounces of nice cold water, okay? And if I said to you, would you like to have a drink of water? 
Well, some of you probably have already stopped by the well and you're well uh, served with your water. But if you were out in the desert or like it was last week when it was 95 degrees and you were outside, would this look pretty good? And I said, oh, but you know, these things can get dirty, right? You know, bacteria and stuff around those. So I brought you a straw and here's the, here's the straw. It's a little bottle of water, so I gave you a little straw, right? And I said, now, here's a straw that you can use. If you put it in there and drink from it, then you don't have to worry about being contaminated and you can get a nice cool drink of water. And you say, oh man, that's great. But why are you holding it by a napkin? Yeah, about that. When I was getting this ready, I was walking by the trash can and I accidentally dropped the straw in the trash can where somebody had just thrown vomit. But I wiped it off. It's clean. Anybody want to use the straw? You say, uh, no thanks. Now listen to me. What would you rather do? Would you rather take your chances drinking from a plastic bottle that maybe have been contaminated? Or would you rather use a straw that had been dropped in the trash with regurgitation? You say, bypass the straw, I'm thirsty, I'll take my chances, right? Church, listen to me carefully. God does not need us. He chooses to use us. But if we defile ourselves, God will not, he will not contaminate himself with sin. He cannot have anything to do with sin, so he will put that off to the side and be like, I will accomplish it another way. And church, one of the reasons why we miss out on the blessings of God is we don't plan and we don't prepare ourselves to be vessels that God can use and that God can work through. And we're saying, God, why won't you use me? He says, because I see the defilement. We serve a holy God who cannot have fellowship with sin. Daniel understood that. Daniel was in a foreign land. He could have said, you know what? When in Rome, do as the Romans do, right? In this case, when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. Whatever they offer, I'll do. But he saw the bigger picture and he knew his God. Look at what Daniel 1.8 tells us. But Daniel resolved... There's that key word, resolved. That means to purpose with conviction. It doesn't mean, well, it's convenient, so I'll do it. No, resolve says, regardless of what happens, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do this, okay? But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. You see, Daniel could have said, well, God, you brought me here. This is the king that conquered us, so you know what? I can eat his food. There's a big test that's going to be asked to me. God, if I'm not healthy enough, if I don't look fat enough, if I don't seem wise enough, if I'm not on my game, God, I could die. So God, you brought me here, so I'm going to use what's around me for advantage. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. Listen to me, church. The enemy wants you to focus on the end result, not how you got there. If I became a millionaire, and you say, wow, that's successful. I say, yeah, I know. How'd you get there? I embezzled. You say, well, that doesn't count. Hey, it doesn't matter. I'm still a millionaire. They'll never be able to trace it. You say, that doesn't count. Maybe, maybe you've heard it said this way. The end does not justify the means. You ever heard that? Daniel understood, my God is a holy God. And my God does not want me to defile myself with the things that the king is offering because, because it wasn't that the king was just trying to be nice. The king had ulterior motives. Look at this. The king wanted Daniel and his friends to become Babylonian and worship their gods. Marduk, Baal, and Nebo. Okay, for the younger ones in here, I did not say Nemo. I was preaching a message one time on Daniel, was talking about their gods, and one of the little kids came up to me afterwards and go, I've seen that movie. 
What movie? Finding Nemo. Nebo, not Nemo, okay? Those are the gods of Babylon. So he went as far as to try to change their names. He called Daniel Belteshazzar. He called Azariah Abednego. He called Mishael Meshach. You see, he tried to change their names so they would sound Babylonian. Folks, when people try to change you to be more like their God than the true God, they have ulterior motives in playing. They're not just trying to be convenient. Because he knew this too. If he could change their names and they would be called by their Babylonian names, then he's like, you know what? Now they're going to be dependent upon me. If I provide the food then I can take the credit. If I provide the wine, then I can control their joy. Church, the devil does the same thing today. He wants to provide things for you so that you say, well, what harm is there? Go ask the drug addict. Go ask the people that struggle with addictions. He wants you to become dependent on him where you will do whatever it takes to find that satisfaction from him. And Daniel saw through that because lest you think that Nebuchadnezzar had any kind of great motives, kind, generous, charitable. I remind you that Nebuchadnezzar built a God. Oh, and it just happened to look like Nebuchadnezzar. And he said to the people, when you hear the music, bow down and worship the statue. You talk about a narcissist. This is a guy that said, not only do I, do I want you to think that I'm trying to replace God, I want to make it clear so there's no misunderstanding. I am God. That would be like, folks, when you come into Journey... Out there on the covered porch when you come in, if there was a golden statue of me like this. And there was a sign that says, bow to the statue before entering. I hope you would never enter. But you know what? Sometimes we get people in our lives that say, you need to bow down to me. I control this. I am responsible for this. My friend, I only have one God. And that's the true God. He's the only one I will bow down to. He's the only one I will serve. Daniel understood that. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to get into the trash can with the trash and then try to come out and say that I have not been defiled. Daniel said, I will resolve that I will not defile myself. I won't take the things that the devil tries to say are necessary. By the way, is any wonder Jesus said the love of money is the root of all evil? Not money. The love of money. I got to have it. I need it. I can't get along without it. I need more to make me happy. I need... You see how easily that takes over? Yeah, you got to provide for your family, no problem. But when you love money, when you'll do anything for money, that's the problem. Daniel said, I will not defile myself. Graduates, church, we need men and women today that will be more committed to Christ than to convenience. We need men and women today that will say, God, I don't want to defile myself. I want to keep myself pure for you. I want to keep myself where you can bless and work through me. I don't want to be like this, where you say, no. I'll go another way. Lord, I want you to be able to use me. Christian, look at this challenge. We are in this world. Pinch your skin. Does it hurt? Your flesh. Okay, we're in this world. But we do not have to act like this world. Our home is heaven. Our battle is spiritual. And we cannot rest until we are home. I cannot sit there and say as a dad, well, my daughter's 19. She's in college. She's on her own. Now, I can do whatever I want to. 
No. I always have to set that example for her. I can't sit there and say, well, my wife and I just celebrated 26 years of marriage. Well, we've lasted longer than most people do. All right, honey, you're on your own. Do your thing, I'll do mine. Doesn't work that way. Church, God is looking at his children and he's saying, don't be tricked. Don't be deceived. Don't be satisfied on the things that the enemy offers because they're not fulfilling. They're not lasting. Remember what Jesus offered the woman at the well? Drink of this water, the truth that I give you, me, Jesus said, and you'll never thirst again. Daniel understood that, and he said, I will not defile myself. So Christian, are you following defilement? Are you looking at things that you go, you know what, I know God's not pleased with this. I know God's not pleased with what I am addicted to, with what I think I have to have, with my attitude, with whatever? Or are you seeking God's destiny? God, I want your best. I want your blessing. So Lord, purge me. Make me white as snow. Daniel said, if I'm going to be used by God in this land, I cannot be defiled. Second thing that Daniel did was this. He surrounded himself by Christian friends. He surrounded himself by godly friends. Friends that wanted to honor God. Friends that said, I want to help you draw closer to God. Daniel 2, 17 tells us this. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. By the way, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, His companions, his friends, his trusted ones and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel said, guys, listen, we're in a crucial situation. Our lives hang in the balance. So I'm asking you to join me in prayer. Now, folks, let me ask you a question. How many close friends do you have that you could go to and say, Hey, pray for me. I have a situation. I need prayer. Now, I'm not just talking about positive thoughts or vibes. I love when people say that, you know, we'll take all positive vibes, all positive thoughts, all positive. Listen, folks, this was a situation. Daniel said, I don't need that stuff. I need prayer. I need people who go to the God of heaven and say, we're asking for your intervention on our behalf. How many friends do you have like that? I don't know. I don't know your friends. Daniel had friends that he could go to, that he could ask to pray, and they did. You say, well, Randy, how, how do you know that they were godly friends? Well, in, in Hebrew, your name shows your character. That's why the study of names is so important in Hebrew. Look at what their names mean. Daniel's name means God is my judge. Church, by the way, when you understand that, You don't have to worry about being defiled because you'll know who the judge is. I'm not your judge. Your spouse isn't your judge. Your boss isn't your judge. There's only one judge and you're not him. God is. So when he tells us in his word, here's what I will judge you by, wouldn't we be kind of foolish not to do it? It's kind of like the teacher saying, hey, we're going to give you a test tomorrow. And I'm sending home all the questions that will be on the test. And if you show up tomorrow and you don't ace that test, guess what? You're not very smart. She gave you the test. You didn't take advantage of it. God gave us what he's going to judge us on. We're kind of crazy if we don't follow it and don't listen to it. But Daniel's name means God is my judge. He understood that authority. Hananiah's name means Yahweh is gracious. You need people in your life to remind you of the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. You need people that come alongside and be like, hey, can I just remind you? I know right now you think that God's not being very fair, but he is gracious. Mishael's name means who is what God is. Before we knew that we were going to have a daughter, we were talking of names for guys or a boy or, or girl. 
And I told my, my wife, I said, there's two names that I would love to have in, if we had a son. And one of them was Micaiah, and the other one is Mishael. My wife said, we might as well put a, a piece of paper on his back that says, my parents hate me. But the name Mishael means this, who is what God is. I love that. How, how, how can you describe it? How can we list everything that God is? Well, Mishael's name, who is what God is? He is beyond description. He is beyond listing. He is beyond imagination. You need people to remind you the greatness of God. That when you think you've got him completely figured out, you don't. And then you have Azariah. Yahweh is a helper. He's not a herder. He's not out to sink you and destroy you. He is there to help you. Now, wouldn't you want friends like this? <clears throat> the people you surround yourself with indicate your goals and your values. Young people, introduce me to your top five friends and I'll tell you a lot about your goals and your values. But parents, it doesn't just work for teenagers, it works for us as well. The people that you surround yourself with, the people that you look to as friends, will tell a lot about your values and what you're pursuing and what's important to you. Do you surround yourself by yes people that are always telling you how wonderful you are? Then I can tell you that you struggle with self-esteem and approval. I want people reminding me how great God is. I know what I'm really like. I want people to remind me what God is really like. When the challenges come, will your friends lift you up? Or will they leave you? Or worse than leave you, will they hurt you? Will they try to destroy you? Let me give you two biblical verses that show both ends. First one's from Proverbs 16, 28. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. If you have people in your life that are always causing strife, always stirring things up, we have a phrase for that, dramatic. You hear the laughter? Because we all have those dramatic friends. We call them drama queens and drama kings, right? They're the people that are always sitting there, well, I just don't feel that way. I think you hurt my feelings, right? They're the ones that sit there and then they go to other friends, but do you think that Randy's being pompous and stuff? I do too. And then they'll go to me and be like, hey, do you know uh, Alan over there? Yeah, don't you think Alan? This is the kind of person that separates close friends. And if you have that person in your life that is constantly causing problems and divisions, understand they are not a friend. Okay? What does a real friend look like? Well, Proverbs 17, 17 tells us that. A friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. A true friend has your back even when you're not being very nice. Because they seek your betterment. They love you at all times even when you're not very loving. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But not only that, but a brother is born for adversity. When the struggle comes, that friend's going to be like a brother and they're going to be entrenched with you and be like, I'm not leaving you. We're here. We got it. You see, one of the things that I think is problematic for us today is this. We're not very selective on our friends. I'm not talking about acquaintances. I'm not talking about people that God gives you the opportunity to influence. I'm talking about the people that you let close to you to counsel you, to confide in, those are the ones I'm talking about. Daniel did that. And when Daniel couldn't handle it, when Daniel was struggling, when Daniel saw the threat, he went to his friends and he said, I'm asking you to pray. And he knew that they would. I've told Kathy, there, there's a, it's a pretty short list. But I've told her, I said, 
if, if I'm ever in a situation where they're saying, hey, listen, he's hanging on by threads, we're not sure, he hangs in the balance, I said, here are those people you need to contact because I know they'll pray. Daniel was in a life and death situation and he knew who he could go to to prayer. Do you have those kind of friends? So not only did he not defile himself, but he also surrounded himself with godly friends. The third thing that Daniel did was this. He spoke truth even when it wasn't popular. My friend, we need truth speakers today. Well, it's not popular. I'll be made fun of. I'll be ridiculed. Truth frees. Look at what happened in Daniel 2.45. He tells Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream about this statue with the different parts, the different components. Daniel says this to him, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. What he's saying to him is this, your kingdom will fall. Oh, and by the way, God's going to be the one to do it. Now, let me ask you, was that dangerous to tell the king? In fact, it was not popular to tell a king anything but, oh, king, live forever. In fact, to this day, if you go to London and you meet her majesty, the queen, you don't say to her, hey, queen, your kingdom's coming to an end one day. No, you say, oh, queen, may you live forever. Daniel spoke truth because God told him what was going to happen. God told him, here's exactly what's going to take place. Now, I want you to tell the king. I could just see Daniel going, uh, could you get, uh, you know, Azariah to tell him? You know, Abednego? I want you, Daniel. But it wasn't the only time. In Daniel 4.27, Nebuchadnezzar is warned about his pride And Daniel says this to him, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins. Now, wives, how many times have you ever told your husband these famous three words? You are wrong. And your husband replies to you, honey, I love you so much. Thank you for speaking truth. No, when we tell people you are wrong, Usually, defense mechanisms comes in, anger comes in. But here, Daniel's going to the king and he says, King, break off your sins. In other words, king, you're going down the wrong path. You're wrong by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. King, if you want your kingdom to go, if you want to continue to be king, you need to change some things. It's not easy to hear. But then Nebuchadnezzar dies, Belteshazzar comes in. Belteshazzar has a dream, calls for Daniel. Daniel interprets it. So look what it says in Daniel 5. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mine, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Because Daniel did not defile himself, God trusted him with truth and to take the truth to the kings. So they would know exactly what God was going to do so there were no surprises. Do you have such a conviction for truth? Because Daniel could have lied. He could have went to him and said, a king, God just said, you know, you're you're okay You're a great king. Hope you live long and prosperous. They wouldn't have known. But Daniel was committed to truth. If you're taking notes, and even if you're not taking notes, please write down this next statement. Truth is not subject to translation. You don't get the right to determine what truth is and what truth is not. Truth is truth. You don't get to sit there and go, well, let me just kind of spin it and be like, well, this is okay. Folks, if God says something is wrong, it's wrong. Period. If God says something is right, it's right. And one of the things I often get frustrated with Christians is we focus on what God 
says not to do, and there are those things, but we don't encourage each other in what God says to do. I am a happily married man. You know why? Because God said, love your wife as Christ loved the church. He didn't say, if she's perfect, then reward her. He didn't say that. And so I love and try to love my wife like Christ said to. My wife tries to love me like Christ said to, even though it is far harder for her to do it than for me because she didn't have much to work with here. But why do we have a good marriage? Because we're doing it God's way. And church, when we focus and live the truth that God says, not just on what he says not to do, but on what he says to do. Because when you're doing what he says to do, you understand why he says, don't do it the other way. That makes sense? Sometimes we tell people what we're against, but we forget to tell them what we're for. When I understand what I'm for, then I understand what I'm against. And Daniel understood that even in a foreign land, that truth was not open to translation. He couldn't take it and twist it to what was convenient to him or what could spare his life or what could gain him an advantage. He simply spoke what God said. When you know what God says and you have the opportunity to share it, do you tell it completely or do you alter it to make it more palatable? Had somebody come up to me and ask me this question. Do you really believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? Now, folks, if somebody asks you that, what are they trying to set you up for? They're trying to set you up that they're not, they don't agree with that. And I said, yes, I do. And they said, then you're a bigot because you think only your way is right. I said, well, if it was my plan, then yes, I would be a bigot. But because it's God's plan and because God's creator, I'm not a bigot, I'm a believer. And they said, oh, and they left. You see, folks, when God says it, I'm just saying what he said. It's not my plan. I didn't come up with it. It's his. One of, one of the phrases we like to use, but we don't like to practice, is John 8, 32. It says this, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right? We, we, and we, we tell our kids this all the time. Son, daughter, if you do something wrong, you need to tell me because the truth will set you free. But then we don't do it. I want you to just take this verse and where you see the phrase, the truth, I want you to replace it with Jesus. It goes like this. And you will know Jesus and Jesus will set you free. Isn't that great truth? Is there any, why do you say that? Well, what did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the what? Truth and the life. So if I know Jesus, I know the truth. So when I know Jesus, Jesus sets me free. If I don't speak truth, then I harm, I guess is the best word, damage the relationship between me and Jesus because Jesus can't have fellowship with sin. When I understand that truth is Jesus and I don't want anything to get between me and Jesus, then I love truth. Church, do you love truth today? Because I want to put it to you this way. Truth opens the door for God's presence. If you don't dwell in truth, then you limit his presence in your life because he says, I can have no fellowship with sin. But when I am committed to truth, the door is wide open for his presence. Last thing I want to give you, because I love how God gives us positive reinforcement, because sometimes we can say, okay, what if Daniel did this and then he was executed? God honored Daniel for Daniel serving him. Well, how'd that happen? One thing was this, he spared their lives. They lived. In fact, they outlived Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshazzar, Cyrus, and Darius. He spared their lives because they followed him. Look in Daniel 2.48, it tells us how God blessed Daniel specifically in this example. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect 
over all the wise men of Babylon. I guarantee you, when Daniel made the choice to not defile himself, he didn't see this coming. He just said, I'm going to honor God. Church, understand this. Honor God and he will honor you. Don't believe the enemy. Don't believe the lies that you, it's okay to cheat and get around the system and expect God to bless you. Honor God and he will honor you. They impacted the kingdoms to come. Not only with Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshazzar, Cyrus, and Darius. With the Babylonians, the Medes, and the Persians, God used them there. But Daniel not only influenced Israel and the people there, he not only influenced Babylon, he not only influenced the Medes and the Persians, but Daniel chapter 7 through 12 give prophecy that are still true today, that people still study today on the end times. Daniel influenced generations to come that he would never meet because God could trust him with truth. You see, Daniel never fought in a physical battle. He was not out there fighting with a sword. He was not out there fighting in chariots. But he was fighting a war, a spiritual war, a war that all of us are part of. So are you preparing for God's promotion? Are you preparing for his power and his blessing? Or are you swallowing the lies of the enemy and living in complacency and, cl and complaining? Church, God is looking for men and women who will say, I'm tired of mediocrity. I'm tired of trying to hold God hand, God's hand while also trying to hold the enemy's hand. God, I want to step out in faith and follow you. I want to be a godly warrior for you. God, I want to fight on the spiritual plane. I understand, as Ephesians 6 tells us, that's where the battle takes place. Church, will you be like Daniel today? Will you not defile yourself? If there's something, some sin that's in your life that you know is there, will you get it confessed today and say, I'm not going to defile myself, God. To the best of my knowledge, I want to be as holy and as pure and as right with you as I can. Are you willing to evaluate the friends that you have, the people that you allow to influence your life? And are you willing to speak truth? To speak truth in your life, but to speak truth into other people's lives. We need Daniels today. We need men and women who will have that commitment to Christ. The answer is, will you? Will you answer that call? Will you prepare yourself for his promotion? Father, thank you for the truth of your word today. Father, as we look at the life of Daniel, it was not one that was easy. There were many difficult decisions that had to be made, many difficult circumstances that could have ended his life, could, could have greatly affected the value, the comfort of his life, yet he chose you. So, Father, today, we want to stand before you, you who are our judge, you, the one to whom we are accountable to, and where do we stand before you? Help us to answer that question truthfully, but, Father, help us to leave here committed to fighting for you, and we'll praise you for all that you do, for it's in Christ's name we ask it, amen. Church, maybe you're here this morning and, and you've never trusted Christ. You've never understood your need of a Savior, but today God has challenged you that if you're going to have a life that's pleasing to God, you've got to belong to Him. You've got to be saved. And the great news is you can be today, right now. Because the Bible says if you believe in your heart that the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that God raised him from the dead and confess that with your mouth, the Bible says you will be saved. And today could be the day of your salvation. Today could be the day you were set free from sin and set free in Christ. But church, maybe you're here today and you know there's some defiling. You know there are things in your life that shouldn't be. 
and God has challenged you today, can I beg with you, plead with you, let those things go. Confess them to God. Give them up to him and say, Lord, I don't want to be defiled. I want to be a vessel that you can work through. Maybe there's some friends you need to evaluate their influence in your life. Maybe you need to start speaking truth, truth to yourself, truth to others. Would you respond today and say, Lord, I want to be a Daniel. I want to be a person that is prepared for your promotion, a person that is prepared for your blessing. Only you can make that decision. During the first song, the worship team is going to sing a song, Come to the Altar. So I invite you just to come and just to give that to God and to commit that to Him. During the second song, the usher team will be coming and they'll be passing the buckets. And if this is your first time here, please know we did not invite you to try to get money from you. We wanted you to see Jesus. So please let the buckets pass. But church, will we be able to say today, I choose you. I choose Jesus. I'm a mighty warrior for him. Will you be a Daniel today? Blood of 
Tell the world of the treasure you found